إن الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله أما بعد So continuing with بلوغ المرام in the chapter of الطهارة باب الغسل وحكم الجنب وناون ذا حديث عائشة رضي الله عنها قالت كان رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم إذا اغتسل من الجنابة يبدأ فيغسل يديه ثم يفرغ بيمينه على شماله فيغسل فرجه ثم يتوضأ ثم يأخذ الماء فيدخل أصابعه في أصول الشعر ثم حفن على رأسه ثلاث حفنات ثم أفاض على سائر جسده ثم غسل رجليه متفق عليه ولفظ مسلم ولهما من حديث ميمونة ثم أفرغ على فرجه فغسله بشماله ثم ضرب بها الأرض وفي رواية فمسحها بالتراب وفي آخره ثم أتيته بالمنديل فرده وفيه وجعل ينفض الماء بيده these two hadith now are going to speak about how to make the ghusl. What are the characteristics, the descriptions of how to make the ghusl. So in the first hadith, the hadith of Aisha radiallahu anha, she says that, كَانَ رَسُولَ وَسَلَّمْ إِذَا اغْتَسَلَ مِنَ الْجَنَابَةِ That when the Prophet ﷺ used to take the ghusl from the janaba. And the janaba, as we explained, is the major impurity which uh, occurs as a consequence of intercourse or as a consequence of the release of seminal fluid. Uh, perhaps that may be as a consequence of a wet dream uh, or as a consequence of desire and intercourse. So uh, all of those things dictate the major ritual impurity that a person must then make the ghusl for. So whoever releases the seminal fluid is then termed as being junub. And the junub is a person who the janaba has overcome. A person who has, be, uh, who has uh, been overcome by the janaba is in a state of janaba, is known as junub. And one of the reasons why he is known as junub, as we may have mentioned earlier, is because the word junub in Arabic, it refers to staying away from something. To stay away from something, to uh, refrain from something, to uh, be at a distance from something. So a person who is in a state of janaba, that is the reality. He is prevented from doing certain things. He must remain at a distance from certain things. For example, touching the mushaf. Um, for example, sitting in the masjid. All of these acts then and others he must refrain from and stay away from. And for that reason he is known as being in the state of junub or in the state of Janaba, and he is known as Junub, meaning that he has to stay away from these affairs. So the person who is in that state of Janaba, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made the ghusl obligatory, as in Surah Al-Ma'idah, وَإِن كُنْتُمْ جُنُبًا And if you are in a state of Janaba, the major ritual impurity, then purify yourselves, make the ghusl. So in the hadith of Aisha that we have here now, radiallahu anha, she is going to explain the characteristic, the description, the description of how the Prophet ﷺ used to make the ghusl. So she says, radiallahu anha, كَانَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ إِذَا اغْتَسَلَ مِنَ الْجَنَابَةِ يَبْدَأُ فَيَغْسِلُ يَدَيْهِ That if the Prophet ﷺ was making the ghusl from the janaba, he would start... And he would wash his hands. He would begin by washing his hands. مِنْ مَفْسَلِ الْكُوعِ وَمَفْسَلِ الْكُوعِ هُوَ الَّذِي يَجْمَعُ بَيْنَ الْكَهْفِ وَالذِّرَاعِ وَأَمَّا الَّذِي يَجْمَعُ بَيْنَ الذِّرَاعِ وَالْعَضُدِ فَهَذَا يُسَمَّ بِالْمِرْفَقِ So the Prophet ﷺ used to wash up to the wrist. Wash the hands up to the wrists. That was the beginning part of the ghusl. The first thing to wash the hands up to the wrists. فَهَذَا مَا بَدَأَ بِهِ صَلَى اللَّهِ وَسَلَّمُ This is what the Prophet ﷺ used to begin with in ghusl, to wash the hands up to the wrists. 
وهو غسل الكفين في بداية الطهارة سواء كانت وضوءا أم اغتسالا أو اغتسالا فإنه يستحب ذلك وقد تقدم وجوب غسلهما بعد القيام من نوم الليل في قوله صلى الله عليه وسلم إذا استيقظ أحدكم من نومه فلا يغمس يده في الإناء حتى يغسلهما أو يغسلها ثلاثة فإن أحدكم لا يدري أين باتت يده So washing the hands at the beginning is something which is mustahab, it is something which is recommended and desired, whether it is the wudu that you're making or the ghusl. Even in the wudu, when we describe that, we explain that at the beginning you wash the hands, wash the hands up to the wrists three times, or uh, whether that's in the wudu or it is in the ghusl. That is something mustahab, except if you have woken up from sleeping. We discussed those ahadith that were uh, linked to or relating to the issue of somebody waking up from sleeping. In that instance, you must wash your hands before dipping them into the source of water that you are going to use to make your purification. And that is due to the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ. If one of you wakes up from sleeping, then do not dip your hand into the vessel where the water is until you wash them three times because you don't know where your hand has been overnight. So if a person wakes up from sleeping, then you must wash your hands before the purification. Otherwise, it is mustahab. وَذَهَبَ بَعْضُ أَهْلِ الْعِلْمِ إِلَىٰ أَنَّ سَبَبَ اسْتِحْبَابُ غُسْلِ الْكَفَّيْنِ قَبْلِ الْغَسْلِ أَوْ قَبْلِ الْغُسْلِ وَالْوُضُوءُ هُوَ أَنَّ الْكَفَّيْنِ تُسْتَخْدَمَانِ فِي غَرَفِ الْمَاءِ فَإِذَا أُدْخِلَتَا فِي الْإِنَاءِ قَبْلَ غَسْلِهِمَا وَرَفَعَ الْحَدَثَ عَنْهُمَا فَإِنَّ ذَلِكَ يُؤَثِّرُ فِي ظُهُورِيَةِ الْمَاءِ فَيُصْبِحُ مُسْتَعْمِلًا لَكِنْ جُمْهُورُ أَهْلِ الْعِلْمِ عَلَىٰ أَنَّهُ لَا يَصْلِبُهُ طُهُورِيَّةً وَيَبْقَى صَالِحًا لِلْطَهَارَةِ بِهِ Some of the people of knowledge, they said, that the reason why it is recommended to wash your hands before beginning or starting into the remainder of the purification, the reason why you should wash your hands at the beginning is because it is your hands that you are going to use to... Put the water over the rest of your body. The hands are the item that you use to transport the water, to change, to uh, transfer the water onto your body. It is your hands that you're going to be using. It's your hands that you're going to be dipping into the water. So if your hands were not pure or your hands uh, uh, went into that water before being in a state of cleanliness, then it's possible that the dirt or the uncleanliness from your hands could affect the water that you are going to use. So to avoid that, you wash your hands first to make sure they are upon cleanliness, and then you can continue using the rest of the water without any problem. Even though the majority of the scholars, they say that even if you didn't wash your hands, it wouldn't mean that the water has now lost its ability to purify. But in any case, it is recommended to wash the hands at the beginning, just like the Prophet Sallallahu uh, washed his hands at the beginning of the ghusl here. So the first thing is to wash the hands. At the beginning of the ghusl, to wash the hands up to the wrists. Then Aisha radiallahu anha says, ثُمَّ يُفْرِغُ بِيَمِينِهِ عَلَى شِمَالِهِ فَيَغْسِلُ فَرْجَهِ Then the Prophet Sallallahu the very next stage, is that he would pour the water with his right hand, pour the water with his right hand onto his left hand and wash his private parts. Pour the water with the right hand onto his left hand and use the left hand to wash the private parts. That was the next stage of the ghusl. The first stage to wash the hands up to the wrists. Then to pour the water with the right hand onto the left hand which is then washing the private parts. That is the next stage that is mentioned in this hadith. هذا هو الفعل الثاني. This is the second act. بعد غسل الكفين after washing the hands originally. فإن الجنوب يغسل فرجه يعني يستنجي بالماء. So the person who is in the state of janaba must wash his private parts. فيغرف بيده اليمنى ويغسل فرجه باليد اليسرى. So he pours the water with his right hand and he cleans the private area with his left hand. لِذَا فَلِسْتِنْجَاءُ أَوْ لِسْتِجْمَارُ وَاجِبٌ قَبْلَ الْوُضُوءِ إِذَا خَرَجَ مِنَ الْإِنسَانِ شَيْءٍ مِنْ بَوْلٍ أَوْ مَنِيٍّ وَمَذِيٍّ أَوْ غَائِطٍ وَلَا يَسِحُّنْ يَتَوَضَّأَ الْإِنسَانِ قَبْلَ أَنْ يَسْتَنْجِيَا أَمَّا إِذَا لَمْ يَخْرُجْ مِنْهُ شَيْءٍ وَأَرَادَ أَنْ يَتَوَضَّأَ فَإِنَّهُ لَا دَاعِيَ لِلْإِسْتِنْجَاءِ Therefore the shaykh says, if a person 
has had something exit from his private area. For example, somebody used the toilet, so urine or feces exited from that person. Or for example, uh, the semen, the seminal fluid, or the mavi, which is the, the, the light see-through type of fluid. If any of these types of fluids, they exited from a person from his private parts, then you must make the istinja first. You must wash those private parts first before you can start making wudu. Meaning if somebody goes and uses the toilet, he uses the toilet, then you can't just start making wudu straight away. It wouldn't be correct. You need to clean the private areas first from having used the toilet, the istinja. Then you can start making the wudu. So this is the first thing that is mentioned in the ghusl of the Prophet ﷺ. After washing the hands, he would then pour the water with his right hand and then uh, wash the private parts with his left hand. The only exception is, uh, or something that the Shaykh mentions is, وَلَا دَعِيَ لِلْإِسْتِنْجَاءِ مِنْ خُرُوجِ الرِّيحِ بَلْ إِنَّ مَنْ يَفْعَلُ ذَلِكَ فَإِنَّهُ يَكُونُ مُبْتَدِعًا لِأَنَّهُ لَمْ يَرِدْ ذَلِكَ عَنْ نَفْسِ سَلَّمُ Except if somebody breaks wind. If you break wind, then technically that is something which has been released from your private parts. But that does not necessitate having to make wudu. Uh, sorry, having to make the istinja. If somebody breaks wind, then you don't have to make the istinja. You don't have to go and wash the private parts. You can make the wudu straight away. And somebody or people who do do that, people who think that if you break wind, you have to go and wash the private parts first, and then you can make wudu, then that's a bid'ah. It's an innovation, somebody who believes that. If you break wind, it doesn't necessitate having to wash the private parts. You can make the wudu straight away. But other things like urine and feces and seminal fluid, then the uh, private area must be washed first before you can make the uh, wudu. Uh, and the ghusl, of course, here it's mentioned too, that the Prophet ﷺ would do that first. So the first two stages of the ghusl, firstly to wash the hands, Secondly, to pour the water with the right hand and to wash the private parts with the left hand. Then Aisha radiallahu anha says, ثُمَّ يَتَوَضَّعُ Then the Prophet ﷺ would make the wudu. هَذَا هُوَ الْفِعْلُ الثَّالِثِ أَنَّهُ سَأَسَلَّمْ بَعْدَمَ اسْتَنْجَى تَوَضَّعَ وُضُوءَهُ لِلصَّلَاةِ After the Prophet ﷺ has washed his hands and he has poured the water with his right hand and washed the private area with his left hand, the next stage is to make the full wudu, as you would normally make the wudu, just like we learnt. Make the full wudu, the face, the hair, the, the wiping of the head, etc., the arms, the feet, all of that, in the order, the correct order. The full wudu is made. لِأَنَّ عَلَيْهِ طَهَارَتَيْنِ طَهَارَةٌ مِنَ الْحَدَثِ الْأَصْغَرِ وَهُوَ الْوُضُوء وَطَهَارَةٌ مِنَ الْحَدَثِ الْأَكْبَرِ وَهُوَ الْإِقْتِسَالِ فَبَدَأَ سَأَسَلَّمْ بِالطَهَارَةٌ مِنَ الْحَدَثِ الْأَصْغَرِ وَهِيَ الْوُضُوء أو أنه سلم غسل أعضاء الوضوء ناويا رفع الجناب عنها وبدأ بها لشرفها. So when a person is in a state of janaba, then he's in a state of major impurity, and therefore within that is the minor impurity. So here the Prophet ﷺ began by washing their hands, then washing their private parts, then making the full wudu. Maybe in order to remove the minor impurity first. And then to remove the major impurity. Or just to begin with those private, uh, the uh, wudu parts because of their honorable status. They are the honored, honored parts and the respected parts of the body where you make the wudu. So maybe because of that the Prophet ﷺ began with those parts first. So you have three stages so far. Firstly to wash the hands. Secondly to wash the private parts. Thirdly to make the full wudu. Then... ثُمَّ يَأْخُذُ الْمَاءَ فَيَدْخُلُ فَيُدْخِلُ أَسَابِعَهُ فِي أُصُولِ الشَّعْرِ وَهَذَا هُوَ الْفِعْلِ الرَّابِعِ يَعْنِي أَنَّهُ بَعْدَمَا فَرَغَ مِنَ الْوُضُوءِ أَدْخَلَ أَصَابِعَهُ مَبْلُولَ بِالْمَاءِ فِي أُصُولِ شَعْرِ رَأْسِهِ The next stage is that a person then takes his wet hands, his wet fingers and runs them in through his hair. To take wet hands, to have your hands wet, your fingers wet, and to run them in through the hair. To run the fingers right into the roots of the hair. لِأَنَّهُ سَسَلَمْ كَانَ يُغَذِّي شَعْرَ رَأْسِهِ وَتَغْذِيَةُ شَعْرِ الرَّأْسَ عَلَى صِفَةِ الْوَارِدَ عَنَّهُ سَسَلَمْ سُنَّ لِمَنْ رَاعَ آدَابَهَا وَكَيْفِيَتَهَا الْوَارِدَ عَنَّهُ سَسَلَمْ 
وإذ قال أصابعه سلم في أصول شعر يدل على كثافة شعره. And the Prophet وسلم, the fact that he used to enter his fingers into the hair indicates the manner in which the Prophet hair used to be, that it was thick and it was heavy. So to enter the fingers into that wet fingers, wet hands, to enter them into the roots of the hair to make sure that all of that becomes wetened. Then, ثُمَّ حَفَنَ عَلَى رَأْسِهِ ثَلَاثَ حَفَنَاتٍ وَهَذَا هُوَ الْفِعْلُ الْخَامِسِ Now we are on the fifth stage. We've done four stages so far. Wash the hands, then wash the private parts, then make the wudu, then run the wet hands and wet fingers through the hair. Now the fifth part. The fifth part, وَالْحَفَنَاتِ جَمْعُ حَفْنَ وَهِيَ مَلْءُ الْكَفَّينَ مَجْمُوعَتَينَ Then to take a handful of water, handful of water and to pour it onto the head. Take a handful of water and pour it onto the head three times. Handful of water or two hands when you put them together, put the two hands together, fill them up and pour it onto your head. Again, two hands, fill them up, pour it onto your head. Two hands fill them up, pour it onto your head three times. وَالْحِكْمَةُ وَاللَّهُ أَعْلَمُ مِنْ جَعْلِهَا ثَلَاثَ حَفَنَاتٍ وَهُوَ هُوَ أَنْ يَسِلَ الْمَاءَ إِلَى أُصُولِ شَعْرِ وَخُوَعِهِ And maybe the wisdom behind that, the fact that you're supposed to fill up your hands three times and pour the water, is to make sure that the water goes right into all of the hair and the roots of the hair. وَإِلَى الْبَشْرَةِ And to the skin underneath the hair, the skin of the head. فَيَكُونُ الْمَاءُ قَدْ تَبْلُغُ قَدْ تَبْلُغُ لِجَمِيعِ رَأْسِهِ ظَاهِرُ شَعْرُ وَبَاطِنِ شَعْرُ وَجِلْدَةُ رَأْسِ So the, the water, it reaches all parts of his head. It goes into the hair, into the roots of the hair, into the skin of the head, it goes everywhere. So five stages so far. The sixth stage. ثُمَّ أَفَاضَ عَلَى سَائِرِ جَسَدِهِ Then after that, the Prophet ﷺ, would pour the water over all of the rest of his body. The Prophet ﷺ would pour the water over the rest of his body. And it's mentioned in other narrations, and as we've already mentioned in the narration of Aisha radiallahu anha, that the Prophet ﷺ used to like, He used to like to start to the right hand side. So similarly in the ghusl, when pouring the water over the body, you begin with the right side and then the left side. But that is the sixth stage. That the water is then poured all over the body. The seventh stage is that the Prophet would wash his feet at the end. And there's a question here. أو أنه غسل رجليه في الوضوح حينما توضأ في البداية ثم أعاد غسلهما بعدما فرغ من الاختسال فيكون قد غسل رجليه مرتين مرة مع الوضوء ومرة بعدما فرغ من الاختسال. The seventh stage is that you wash the feet. Here there's a question. Is this or does this mean that the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم hadn't already washed his feet? Because we said. What were the stages? Go through them. The first stage was to wash the hands. The second stage was to wash the private parts. The third stage was the wudu. In the wudu, what's the last thing you do in the wudu? Wash the feet. Then after that, there was running the fingers through the hair, then pouring the water onto the hair, then washing the rest of the body. And then number seven is washing the feet. But haven't we already washed the feet in the wudu part? The third part was to do the wudu everywhere. So haven't we already washed the feet before? What does it mean? Does it mean that when the Prophet ﷺ did the wudu part, he left the feet out because you do them at the end in part 7? Or does it mean that he did the feet then and you do them again in part 7 at the end? Which one is it? So the Shaykh says, He said both of these scenarios are possible and they are permissible. Maybe somebody leaves the feet in the early stage because he's going to do it as the last thing in the ghusl. That's okay. Maybe somebody washes them in the wudu part and then washes them again as the final stage. That's okay. The shaykh says both of these are possible and are permissible. 
فمن غسلهما ضمن أفعال الوضوء فما أعاد غسلهما في آخر الغسل فهذا صحيح. So somebody who washes the feet originally in the wudu part, then washes them again at the end in the seventh stage, that's okay, it's correct. ومن اقتصر على غسلهما آخر الغسل فهو صحيح أيضا. And somebody who doesn't wash them in the wudu part, does all of the wudu but leaves the feet. Then carries on and puts the wet fingers through the hair, then gets the handfuls of water on his head, then washes the rest of his body, then right at the end he comes back to wash the feet, then that's okay as well. بَلْ إِنَّهُ لَوْ اِقْتَصَرَ عَلَى غَسْلِهِمَ آخِرِ الْغُضُوْ وَلَمْ يُعِدْ غَسْلَهُمَا فَإِنَّ فِعْلَهُ صَحِيحًا أَيْضًا Even if a person washed his feet in the third stage with the wudu and then actually left out the seventh stage, which is washing the feet at the end, the ghusl would still be okay. So the point being, you must wash the feet at least once. Even if it's with the wudu part at the beginning, or if it's at the end, or if it's in both places, as long as you have washed the feet. ثُمَّ إِنَّ ظَاهِرَ قَوْلِهَا رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهَا أَنَّهُ أَفَاضَ الْمَاءَ عَلَى صَائِرِ جَسِدِهِ يُفْهَمْ مِنْهُ أَنَّهُ اكْتَفَى بِغَسْلِ جِسْمِهِ مَرَّةً وَاحِدًا Also, the fact that Aisha radiallahu anha mentioned that the Prophet ﷺ poured the water over his body. What would seem to be understood from the narration is that that only occurred once. That the Prophet ﷺ poured the water all over his body just the once. That's what the hadith would seem to indicate. بَيْنَمَا جَاءَ فِي بَعْضِ الرِّوَايَاتَ أَنَّهُ غَسَلَهُ ثَلَاثًا However, in some narrations it is mentioned that the Prophet ﷺ washed his body three times. He poured the water over his body three times. وَلَا إِشْكَالَ فِي ذَلِكَ And there's no problem in that, the Shaykh says. إِذْ إِنَّ الْمَرَّةَ الْوَاحِدَةَ الَّتِي تَعُمُّ الْجِسَمْ تَكْفِي وَتُجْزِئِ وَالتَّثْلِيثِ مُسْتَحَبٍ The Shaykh says there's no problem in that. There's no contradiction in the narrations. If somebody does it once, pours the water over his body once, and it gets everywhere. It gets all over his body. Every part of his body becomes wet with just one pouring of the water. That's sufficient. The ghusl has been made. If you then repeat it and do it three times, that's mustahab. It's recommended and better. But if somebody only did it once and the water did get to every part of his body, then the ghusl has been made. It is sufficient. So what are the benefits from this narration then? The first one, فِيهِ أَنَّ الْمَرْأَةَ تَخْدُمُ زَوْجَهَا فِي وُضُوئِهِ وَفِي طَهَارَتِهِ لِأَنَّ أُمَّهَاتَ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ كُنَّ يَخْدَمْنَ النَّبِيَ سَأَسَلَّمْ فِي ذَلِكَ The first benefit in this is that uh, the woman can help her husband and aid her husband in making the wudu and in his purification. Because in these narrations, and there are several narrations that we see, the mothers of the believers, the wives of the Prophet ﷺ, they used to help and aid the Prophet ﷺ with the water, etc. when making his purification. Al-Mas'alat al-Thaniya Fihi dalilun ala bida'at al-junub bil-istinja' bi'an yaghsila farjahu wa yazil ma alayhi min athal al-kharij The second benefit is that the very first thing you begin with in the ghusl is what? After washing the hands, the first thing you do is the istinja, the private parts. Make sure the private parts are clean, make sure they are purified, and then you move on. Al-Mas'ala Thalitha, the third thing we benefited from this narration, fil-hadith dalilun ala anna al-mughtasil min al-janaba yabdaw bil-wudu awwalan thumma yaghtasilu ba'dahu. We have seen that it is uh, legislated for the individual who is making the ghusl, that he begins with wudu first. That was part three, wudu. Then after that, there was the hair and everything and pouring the water of the body and washing the whole body. Originally, before washing the whole body was the wudu. So the person making the ghusl begins with the wudu first. This is better and more complete. Because this is how the Prophet ﷺ did it. وَلَوْ أَنَّهُ نَوَى دَخُولَ الْوُضُوْ فِي الْإِخْتِسَالِ وَأَفَاضَ الْمَاءَ عَلَى جَمِيعِ جِسْمِهِ نَاوِيًا الطَّهَارَتَيْنَ الصُغْرَ وَالْكُبْرَ دَخَلَتِ صُغْرَ فِي الْكُبْرَ وَأَجْزَأَ ذَلِكَ If, however, an individual didn't specifically do the wudu as the third stage, he just went straight on to the hair and pouring the water everywhere, 
and in amongst whilst he is pouring the water, he runs his hands over those body parts where you make the wudu, then the wudu has been made. You've now made the wudu within the ghusl. It's okay. It still works. If a person doesn't specify a stage where he makes the wudu, then carries on and pours the water and finishes it as we explained. If a person doesn't do that, he goes straight on to washing the hands, making the istinja, and then going into the hair and the fingers and pouring the water. And in amongst when he's pouring the water over his body, he does the wudu body parts as well. So in amongst it, he does it. If somebody does it that way, then it's okay. The wudu has been done now, the ghusl is okay. Because now the smaller purification of the wudu has come into, in amongst the bigger purification. You've done it in amongst that. You've done the small part as well, you've rubbed your hands over those body areas. So it can be included that way and it is okay. Uh, However, like the shaykh mentioned, it is better and more recommended that you do it how the Prophet ﷺ did it. Wudu separately, then after that, pouring the water everywhere and making the full ghusl of the body. Fourthly, It is something legislated for a person who is making ghusl to run his fingers through his hair, if his hair is thick. If a person has hair that is thick, then to run the fingers through the hair to make sure the water gets into the roots of the hair and onto the skin of the head, that is something which is recommended and that is something which is legislated for that person to do. Um, and then also it's mentioned in the narrations as we saw that after that you also get handfuls of water, three handfuls of water and pour them onto your head also on top of that to make sure that the water has gone right into the skin, into the hair, into the roots. Also what we benefited here is دَلِيلٌ عَلَىٰ إِعَادَةِ غَسْلِ رِجْلَيْنِ أَوْ عَلَىٰ تَأْخِيرِ غَسْلِ رِجْلَيْنِ بَعْدَ فَرَاغِهِ مِنَ الْإِغْتِسَالِ That a person can wash the feet twice. You could wash them in the wudu stage and then in the end as well. Or you could just leave it to the end when you finish the ghusl to wash them at the end and we mentioned that already. Also دَلِيلٌ عَلَىٰ أَنَّهُ يَكْفِي فِي الْإِغْتِسَالِ فَاضَةُ الْمَاءَ عَلَىٰ the hadith also indicates that if a person was to pour the water over all of his body just once and it covered all of his body everywhere, that is sufficient. Even though it is mustahab and recommended that a person does it three times. They are the benefits from this particular narration. And the second narration which was the hadith of Maymuna radiallahu anha ثُمَّ أَفْرَغَ عَلَىٰ فَرْجِهِ فَغَسَلَهُ بِشِمَالِهِ ثُمَّ ضَرَبَ بِهَا الْأَرْضَ in this narration, uh, there is an addition which is mentioned regarding the washing of the private parts. That the Prophet ﷺ would pour the water and he would wash the private parts with his left hand. And then uh, that he would engage in further acts of cleanliness. Maybe using some soil or something of that nature to uh, clean and to purify the area of the private parts. That's mentioned as an addition in this narration, to make sure that the private parts are clean and pure, to use some soil or something additional to rub in that area, and then the water on top to clean and purify that area. Then she says, That I then came with a towel. I brought a towel or a cloth to the Prophet ﷺ, but he refused to accept it. لم يأخذه لينشف أعضاء جسمه أو لينشف أعضاء جسمه. The Prophet ﷺ didn't accept it to dry the body parts of his body. من الماء الذي هو من أثر الاغتسال وذلك لبقاء أثر الطاعة عليه. The Prophet ﷺ didn't accept the towel or the cloth or something of that nature to dry himself with. And that is to allow the after effects of this worship to still be dripping from him. The water that he used to make the ghusl, he has just now made the ghusl, then that is an act of worship. It's an act of obedience to make the ghusl. So this after effect of the water coming down, then he would leave that and not dry it. And the mindil is like a towel or some type of cloth that you would use to dry yourself with. 
وَيُسْتَفَادُ مِنْ حَدِيثِ مَيْمُونَ إِضَافَةِ لَبَعْضِ الْفَوَائِدِ So there are some extra benefits in this narration. Uh, one of them is that you remove anything which is in contact with the body in terms of uncleanliness or anything impure. Remove all of those affairs from the body uh, within that ghusl. Again also there is the permissibility of a woman to aid and help uh, the husband during purification, during wudu, during the ghusl, to bring some water, etc. And that is permissible to do so. And also, the hadith seems to indicate دَلِيلٌ عَلَى كَرَاهَةِ التَّنْشِيفِ بَعْدَ الْإِقْتِسَالِ وَالْغُضُوءِ وَأَنَّ السُنَّةَ عَدَمَ التَّنْشِيفِ غَيْرَ أَنَّهُ لَا مَانِعَ مِنْ نَفْضِ الْمَاءِ نَفْضًا دُونَ تَنْشِيفِ The hadith indicates that it is not recommended to dry yourself with a towel or something of that nature after wudu or ghusl. That's what the hadith indicates. At the Prophet ﷺ, Maymuna anha brought him a towel or some cloth, but he refused to accept it, and he allowed himself to be dried naturally. Although the Shaykh says if a person was to uh, make some physical movement to remove the water from him, what would you call it? To, to, to shake off, huh? to shake off the water. If you were to like shake off the water or to flick the water off, you can do that and the remainder dries by itself, then that is okay to do, and that is something good to do. So that's also mentioned in this narration. The next one, عن أم سلمة رضي الله عنها قالت قلت يا رسول الله إني مرأتنا شد شعر رأسي أفأنقذه لغسل الجنابة وفي رواية وللحيضة فقال لا إنما يكفيك أن تحفي على رأسك ثلاث حفيات Rawahu Muslim. So in the hadith of Um Salama radiallahu anha, she says that I said to the Prophet, I am somebody who ties my hair up into a knot. I should do dhafra ra'si, that I put my hair into a like a knot. I, I tear my I put my hair into knots. Wadahir anna al musanif dakaraha bil ma'ana. Wad dhafru ma'anahu al jadl, wahu idhalu shar ba'aduhu fi ba'ad. وَجَعَلْهُ جَدَائِلْ يَدْخُلُ بَعْضُهَا فِي بَعْضٍ حَتَّى تُصْبِحُ كَهَيْئَةِ الْحَبَلِ وَقَدْ كَانَتِ النِّسَاءَ يَفْعَلْنَا ذَلِكَ إِلَىٰ أَحْدٍ قَرِيبٍ So, Umm Salama رضي الله عنها, she says that she used to tie her hair up into plaits. You know the plaits that the women, they do sometimes on the back of their hair, where it goes in loops, in between each other into the plaits. So it becomes a long plait at the back. So Umm Salama رضي الله عنها, she says that she would tie her hair into these plaits. The hair would go in amongst itself into these loops, and it comes out like this plait all tied together. So she said that this is what I do. Do I therefore need to open up these plaits if I am making the ghusl? That's the question in this hadith. Do I need to open up all of my hair and to open up all of the plaits if I am making the ghusl? So the Shaykh says in the explanation, فَالْمَرْأَ يَجُوزُ لَهَا أَن تَجْدُلَ شَعْرَهَا وَيَجُوزُ لَهَا أَيْضًا أَن تُشُدَّهُ شَدًّا وَاحِدًا وَتَجْمِعُهُ وَتَعْقَصُهُ وَيَجُوزُ لَهَا أَن تُرْسِلَهُ أَيْ لَا تَشُدُّهُ وَلَا تَظْفُرُهُ وَهَذَا يَعُودُ إِلَى عَادَاتِ النِّسَاءِ فِي اخْتِلَافِ الْبِلَادِ Firstly the Shaykh says it's permissible for a woman to either leave her hair open or to tie it up or to pull it into plaits. All of that is permissible. Depending on how or where the women are, the cultures of their people, then all of that is allowed. To tie it up, put it into plaits, to leave it out open at the back. Of course, at home, amongst the maharim, amongst the husband, etc. Then it's permissible to do whatever they please in that way. Or even outside, with the proper covering on so that nothing can be seen underneath. That is all permissible, the Shaykh says. أَمَّا الَّذِي لَا يَجُوزُ لَهَا وَيَحْرُمُ عَلَيْهَا هُوَ أَن تَجْمَعَهُ وَتَشُدُّهُ مِنَ الْأَعْلَى بحيث يصبح له حجم يضاهي حجم الرأس أي كأن لها رأسين فهذا ممنوع شرعا وقد ورد فيه النهي في قول سلم سنفان من أهل النار لم أرهما نساء كاسيات عاريات مائلات مميلات رؤوسهن كأسنمة البخت المائلة لا يدخلنا الجنة ولا يجدنا ريحها أخرجه المسلم The only thing which is not permissible for a woman to do Obviously anything which is imitation of the kuffar is not something which is allowed. 
cutting the hair or shaping the hair or dyeing it or gelling it or anything of that nature which is in resemblance to the women of the kuffar, then that's not permissible and it's not acceptable to do. But otherwise there is a specific narration about not tying the hair up into a bubble on top of the head. The women should not tie their hair up into a bubble on top of the head, which resembles the humps of camels. It's almost as if you have a double head. You have your head, and then it's almost like there's another huge bump on top of the head, where the hair has all been tied together into a bubble at the top. That should not be done, and there is a hadith about it, where the Prophet ﷺ described these women, and how they do not enter paradise the ones who tie their hair together into a knot or into a bubble, as we say sometimes, on top of their head. Um, so, هذا الذي تفعله أم سلمة يدل على أن النساء وسلم كنا يشددنا ويظفرنا شعورهن ولا يتركنها مرسلة ولا يجمعنا ذلك فوق رؤوسهن بأحجام منكرة كما تفعله بعض النساء الآن. So this hadith indicates that at the time of the Prophet ﷺ, the women, they used to tie their hair into plaits. They used to do that. And the shaykh says women used to do that even up until very recently. And in fact, some women still do it now. To tie their hair into plaits at the back. And they used to do this at the time of the Prophet ﷺ. So she says, radiallahu anha, I do this. I tie my, I tie my hair into plaits. أَفَأَنْقُضُهُ لِغَسْلِ الْجَنَابَةِ أو لِلْحَيْضَةِ do I have to untie it when I am making the ghusl for the janaba or for the menstruation after I finish the period? Do I have to untie all of this hair to make the ghusl? يعني هل يجب عليها أن تنقض شعرها المشدود إذا أرادت الاختصار من أجل وصول الماء إلى داخله أو أنها تتركه مشدودا? Meaning, the question basically in the hadith is do I need to open it all up to make sure the water goes into the hair everywhere? Or is it permissible to leave it tied? So what is the answer to that? This is what the question was about in this hadith. So the Prophet ﷺ said, لا. He said, no. He said, no. لا تنقضيه. You don't have to open it up. You don't have to open up all of the plaits. وَإِنَّمَا يَكْفِيكِ أَنْ عَلَيْهِ ثَلَاثَ حَثَيَاتِ It is permissible that you simply pour Water over the hair three times. Pour the water over the hair three times. Pour the water on top of the hair everywhere three times. Even if it is still tied into its plait. So what does this hadith indicate? Firstly it indicates what we've always mentioned. That you return to the people of knowledge to question about your religion. Anything which is difficult or complicated or confusing. Then you return to the people of knowledge just as Allah said, فَاسْأَلُوا أَهْلَ الذِّكْرِ إِن كُنْتُمْ لَا تَعَلَمُونَ Ask the people of knowledge if you do not know. So this is an example of that where Umm Salama radiallahu anha, she was unaware or unsure regarding the plaits in the hair. Does it have to be opened up to make the ghusl or not? So she asked the Prophet ﷺ and the Prophet ﷺ told her that it is not necessary. Simply pour the water over the top three times and that is sufficient. The second uh, point from this hadith is, that shyness should not prevent you from finding out about your religion. But the women should not be overcome by shyness to ask about their religion. Shyness is good. It's a good characteristic to have. But not when it comes to seeking knowledge. If somebody is shy and they don't ask and they don't find out about their religion, then that is not good, that is not praiseworthy. So here, shyness should not prevent anyone, and even the women, from asking about their religion and finding out about their religion. So Umm Salama radiallahu anha, she asked about opening the hair for the janaba. Is it something that needs to be done or not? The third issue is, دَلِيلٌ عَلَىٰ أَنَّ النِّسَاءِ يُفَرْنَ شُعُورَ رَؤُسِهِنَّ لِأَنَّ فِي ذَلِكَ جَمَالًا لَهُنَّ كَمَا أَنَّ فِي اللُّحَى جَمَالًا لِلرِّجَالِ فَلَا يَعْبَثْنَ بِشُعُورِهِنَّ كَمَا تَفْعَلُهُ بِعَضَ النِّسَاءِ الْيَوْمِ نِقَصْتِ شُعُورِ وَالْعَبَثْ بِهَا فَهَذَا خِلَافْ مَا عَلَيْهِ نِسَاءِ الْمُسْلِمِينَ فَالْمَرْأَةَ تَتْرُكُ شَعْرَ رَأْسِهَا وَلَا تَقُصُّهُ إِلَّا إِذَا كَثَرَ عَلَيْهَا وَشَقَّ عَلَيْهَا تَرْجِيلَهُ وَمُرَاعَاتُهُ أَوْ أَنَّهَا فَقِيرَةٌ لَا تَمْلِكُ مُؤُونَةَ إصْلَاحِهِ وَدَهْنِهِ فَعِنْدَ ذَلِكَ لَا بَأْسَ أَنْ تَخَفِّفَهُ وَأَنْ تَقُصَّ مِنْهُ 
وقد فعل ذلك بعد أزواج النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم بعد وفاته قصصنا من شعورهن The Shaykh says that in this there is an evidence that the hair of the woman that is a part of the beauty of the woman the hair of the woman is a part of the beauty of the woman so the woman should leave her hair just like a man leaves his beard and a woman shouldn't play around with her hair and to cut it and to trim it and to shape it and to uh, all these types of things they do with gels and all these different uh, things that they have these days the Shaykh says a woman shouldn't play around with her hair in this way the hair is a part of the beauty of the woman so she should allow it to be left, just like the man allows his beard to be left, and that is the beauty of the man. But if a woman needed to cut it because it became too thick or too long, then it's okay, that is allowed to do so. It is permissible to cut the hair, to shorten it. If it became too long or too thick or too difficult to look after, some women the hair may be difficult to look after, so it is easier for them to keep it slightly shorter then that is permissible to do so. Uh, however, it is not to be cut to a level where it is now imitating or resembling the kafirat, or to a level where it is now imitating or resembling the men. So a woman cannot cut her hair so short that it resembles the men, or cut it in a way, cut it in a way that resembles the disbelieving women. That should not be done. But otherwise, as long as those restrictions are stayed away from, then it's okay for a woman to cut the hair if she desires to do so, as the wives of the Prophet ﷺ did. The wives of the Prophet ﷺ, some of them, they cut their hair. لِأَنَّهُنَّ بَعْدَ وَفَاتِهِ سَسَلَّمْ قَدْ حُرِّمَ عَلَيْهِنَّ الزَّوَاجِ فَهُنَّ زَوْجَاتُهُ فِي الدُّنْيَا وَالْآخِرَةِ فَاللَّهُ تَعَالَى يَقُولُ وَمَا كَانَ لَكُمْ أَن تُؤْذُوا رَسُولَ اللَّهِ وَلَا أَن تَنْكِحُوا أَزْوَاجَهُ مِنْ بَعْدِهِ أَبَدًا Because the wives of the Prophet ﷺ, after the death of the Prophet ﷺ, they could not marry again. And that's mentioned in the ayah of the Qur'an in Surah Al-Ahzab, uh, uh, that it is not for you to marry again or to marry the wives of the Prophet ﷺ after him ever. لِذَا إِحْتَاجَ بَعْدُهُنَّ بَعْدَ وَفَاتِهِ سَلَّمْ إلى قص شعور رؤوسهن من أجل تخفيف المؤونة ودفع المشقة ولأنهن لسن بحاجة إلى التجمل به لعدم تطلعهن إلى الأزواج. So after the death of the Prophet ﷺ, some of them they cut their hair slightly because they were not going to marry again. There was no need for extreme beauty now. There was no need for the beautification to that level anymore. They were not going to marry again, so they cut their hair slightly to make it easier to look after, etc. هكذا كانت النساء على أحد رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم. This is how the women were at the time of the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم. They would lengthen their hair. The women at the time of the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم they would lengthen their hair and they wouldn't shorten it except if there was a need. Although, like we said, it is permissible if a woman wanted to shorten it as long as it's not imitating the men or the kafirat, the disbelieving haircuts, the women of the disbelievers, then it is okay to do so. Uh, but imitation of the disbelievers is something which is not permissible, and that is what the Shaykh actually mentions here now, that it is not permissible to imitate the men or to imitate the disbelievers in their types of haircuts and styles, then that should not be done, and it is something which is not permissible. The next issue is, فِيهِ دَلِيلٌ عَلَىٰ أَنَّهُ لَا يَلْزَمُ الْمَرْأَ نَقْضَ شَعْرِهَا مِنْ أَجْلِ الْغُسْلِ مِنَ الْجَنَابَةِ The point of the hadith, that it is not a necessity for a woman to have to open up her hair, the plaits, etc., in making the ghusl. Because that there is difficulty in that. There is difficulty in that. If a woman has put all of her hair into plaits, then to open all of that up and to wash it and to dry it and put it back into the plaits, it's something lengthy and difficult. So because of that, it is allowed to simply pour the water over the hair, on top of the hair, without having to open it up. Uh, لِأَنَّ غُسْلَ الْجَنَابَةِ قَدْ يَتَكَرَّرُ فَيَشُقُّ عَلَى الْمَرْأَ أَن تَنْقُضَهُ لِكُلِّ مَرَّةِ Especially if a person, for example, needs to make the ghusl on a regular basis. Maybe a person makes the ghusl, maybe it might occur every two days, every three days. So if a woman has to keep opening the hair, drying it, plaiting it, unplaiting it, it becomes very difficult. وَإِنَّمَا يَكْفِي أَن تَفِيضَ الْمَاءَ عَلَيْهِ So it's permissible and sufficient just to pour the water over it. وَالدِّينُ جَاءَ بِرَفْعِ الْحَرَجِ وَإِزَالَةِ الْمَشَقَّ عَنِ الْمُسْلِمِينَ And this religion, it came to bring ease 
bring ease to the believers and not to bring difficulty and hardship. أَمَّا فِي الْحَيْضِ فَهَذَا مَحَلُّ خِلَافٍ بَيْنَ أَهْلِ الْعِلْمِ عَلَى ثَلَاثَةِ أَقْوَالٍ That is from the janaba. If a woman is making the ghusl from the janaba, from the intercourse, then she does not need to open up the hair, does not need to open up the plaits. As for the menstruation, when a woman finishes her period and needs to make the ghusl, is it the same ruling or not? Here the scholars, they differed. The menstruation ghusl we're talking about now. The janaba ghusl, yes, leave the hair as it is, don't need to open it up, pour the water over the top. The ghusl that a woman makes after finishing the period, then there is a difference of opinion between the scholars. The first opinion is that she must open up all of the hair. لِأَنَّ غُسْلَ الْحَيْضِ وَالنِّفَاسِ لَا يَتَكَرَّرُ Because the ghusl that a woman makes after finishing the period, or for example after the postnatal bleeding, then is that something which happens regularly or it happens once in a while? Once in a while. The period is only once in a month. The bleeding after the birth is only once every year or so, whenever the woman gives birth. So that's not something regular. It's not something which happens all the time. Therefore, there isn't that same level of difficulty anymore. It's something which is irregular. Once in a month. There's no difficulty once in a month. Open up the hair. So the scholars, they say, in that instance, one opinion is that the woman should open up her hair. Because in that instance, there isn't any difficulty قَالُوا وَلِأَنَّ نَبْسَى سَلَّمْ أَمْرَ عَائِشَ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهَا أَنْ تَنْقُضَ شَعْرَ رَأْسِهَا عِنْدَ الْإِقْتِسَالِ مِنَ الْحَيْضِ وَهُوَ قَوْلُ أَحْمَدُ وَمَالِكِ And they say there is a narration where the Prophet ﷺ commanded Aisha رضي الله عنها to open up her hair from, uh, or when making the ghusl for the menstruation, from making uh, the ghusl from the period. And that is the opinion of Al-Imam Ahmad and Al-Imam Malik. وَقَدْ أُجِيبَ عَنْ ذَلِكَ بِأَنِّ اقْتِسَالَ عَائِشَ لَيْسَ مِنْ أَجْلِ الْحَيْضِ إِنَّمَا هُوَ مِنْ أَجْلِ الْإِحْرَامِ لِأَنَّهَا كَانَتْ حَاجَّةِ وَقَدْ أَحْرَمَتْ لِلْعُمْرَةِ ثُمَّ حَاضَتْ قَبْلَ أَنْ تَصِلَ إِلَى الْبَيْتِ وَشَقَّ ذَلِكَ عَلَيْهَا فَقَالَ لَهَا النَّبْسَ they said that was actually because of the ihram. That was in the time when the hajj was being made, uh, where the umrah was being made. And it was not because of her period. This wasn't because of the menstruational cycle and the ghusl that is made at the end of that. The scholars, they said that narration was about the umrah. Aisha radiallahu anha was in the umrah at that time. Uh, and she uh, started her menstruational cycle, the period uh, within that cycle. Uh, before she got to the Kaaba. So it was difficult upon her. So the Prophet ﷺ said, do what the Hajj, the person who's making the pilgrimage would normally do, but do not make the tawaf around the Kaaba until you are purified. So the scholars, they said here, it wasn't because of the menstruation, the period, it was actually because of something else. So they do not accept this reasoning to have to open up the hair for the woman who is upon menstruation. And that is the second opinion, which is that the woman who is making the ghusl from the janaba, أنها لا تنقض شعرها لا من أجل اغتسال من الجنابة ولا لأجل اغتسال من الحيض ولا من النفاس. That a woman doesn't have to open up her hair whether she's making the ghusl from janaba or from the period or from the postnatal bleeding. She doesn't have to open up her hair for any of them. It is sufficient to simply pour the water over the top. And that is the opinion of the Shafi'iyah. And the Hanafiyyah. The third opinion is, the third opinion is that for the period and for the postnatal bleeding, it is mustahab to open it up, but not obligatory. Some of the scholars said it is mustahab, you should do it, but not obligatory. So there are the three opinions. One opinion is you must open it up for the period and the postnatal bleeding. One opinion is you don't have to. Just like after the janaba, you don't have to. After the postnatal bleeding and the uh, period, don't, you don't have to. And one opinion is that after the period and the postnatal bleeding, it is mustahab that you should, but not obligatory. And the final issue in this is al hadith fihi dalilun ala qaidat raf al haraj fi sharia al islamiyya. فلما كان نقض نقض المرأة لشعر رأسها يشق عليها 
فإن شارع الحكيم خفف عنها وأمرها بالاكتفاء بصب الماء عليه وإفاضته عليه It shows the principle of the religion which is ease and facilitation The religion is about ease and facilitation not to make things difficult So for the woman if she has to make ghusl all the time from janaba maybe every day, every two days, every three days could be the case then in that instance it's difficult for her to open her hair all the time to wet it, to dry it, to plait it again put it into knots again so that is difficult, so for the woman this ease and facilitation has been given whereby she can simply pour the water over the top without having to open it up every time. That is the end of that narration and we'll conclude upon that point inshallah. Uh, next time we'll continue, in fact, in fact we'll, 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 we'll try to complete the chapter, there's only two hadith. We'll continue for a few more minutes, inshallah, we'll complete the chapter. There's only a few more hadith. When Aisha radiallahu anha qalat, qala Rasulullahi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, inni la uhillu al-masjid al-lihaidin wa la junub. Rawahu Abu Dawud wa sahahahu ibn Khuzayma. In this hadith of Aisha radiallahu anha, she says, I do not make it permissible, the mosque, I do not make the mosque permissible for somebody, a woman who is upon her period, or somebody who is in a state of janaba. This is the hadith of Aisha radiallahu anha, meaning that I don't view it permissible or halal for a person who is upon the period or who is upon a state of janaba to stay in the mosque for any period of time or to sit in the mosque, except if there was some necessity. If there was some extreme necessity, then that's different. But otherwise, the hadith of Aisha radiallahu anha here states that she says, radiallahu anha, I do not view it permissible. For somebody upon their period, who is in their period now, on their period, or in a state of janaba, to be sitting in the mosque or to be spending time in the masjid. Because the masajid, لِأَنَّ الْمَسَاجِدَ مَوَاضِعَ لِلصَّلَاةِ وَالْعِبَادَةِ أو مَوَاضِعُ لِلصَّلَاةِ وَالْعِبَادَةِ They are places for prayer and worship. وَقَدْ تَقَدَّمَ الْقَوْلُ بِأَنَّهُمَ يُمْنَعَانِ أَيْضًا مِنْ مَسِّ الْمُصْحَفِ وَقِرَاءَةِ الْقُرْآنِ وَالطَّوَافِ بِالْبَيْتِ that somebody who is upon a period or upon the state of Janaba, they cannot touch the Mus'haf or recite the Qur'an or do tawaf around the Kaaba. Uh, and this is mentioned or this is indicated that they cannot do these acts, the people who are upon the period or the ones who are upon the state of Janaba, by the statement of Allah, يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا لَا تَقْرَبُوا الصَّلَاةَ وَأَنْتُمْ سُكَارًا حَتَّى تَعْلَمُوا مَا تَقُولُونَ وَلَا جُنُوبًا إِلَّا عَابِرِي سَبِيلٌ حَتَّى تَغْتَسِلُوا That all you who believe, do not approach the prayer whilst you are drunk until you are aware of what you are saying. Or if you are in a state of janaba, إِلَّا عَابِرِي سَبِيلٌ Except for somebody who is just passing through until you purify yourselves. So this hadith or this ayah rather indicates that it is impermissible for somebody on a period, for a woman on a period, or on the postnatal bleeding after childbirth, or upon a state of janaba, to sit in the masjid. As for if a woman was to pass through the masjid, needed to pick something up and go, then that's okay, that's different. But the point being to stay there and to sit there in those states, then that is not correct. Uh, so if, if the person was only passing through If the person was only passing through Or needed to pick something up Then that's okay to do so To pick something up or to pass through As long as the person isn't staying there To sit there and to spend time there That is what is indicated by this hadith of Aisha radiallahu anha And as you're aware There is a difference of opinion on that issue About the woman who is on the period the woman who is on the period, is she allowed to come to the masjid or not? And some of the scholars, they view that it is permissible. Some of the scholars view that it is permissible. If the woman takes absolute care that the period, the blood, nothing will uh, escape, nothing will enter the masjid, she takes care of herself completely in terms of uh, making sure that the area is covered, etc. Then some of the scholars, they say it's permissible. And others, based upon these types of narrations, say it is not permissible. Also we have, وَعَنْهَا قَالَتْ uh, From Aisha radiallahu anha, she said, 
كنت أغتسل أنا ورسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم من إناء واحد تختلف أيدينا فيه من الجنابة متفق عليه وزاد ابن حبان وتلتقي أيدينا In this hadith Aisha رضي الله عنها says that I and the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم we used to make the ghusl from one one vessel from the same vessel from the same pot and our hands used to be mixing in that same pot of water that they would have some type of barrel or a pot of water and you take the water from that to make the ghusl and she says me and the prophet sallam myself and the prophet sallam we would make ghusl from the same pot from the same barrel the same vessel and our hands would be mixing in that pot together so this hadith indicates dalilun ala annahu la ba'sa an yaghtasila ar-rajulu wa imra'atuhu jami'an that there is no issue if a man and a woman make the ghusl together wa yanzuru ba'dhuma ila ba'd even if they are able to view each other Allah abaha li kulli min az-zawjayn al-istimta' bil akhir because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made it permissible for the spouses to uh, 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 to be aware of each other to see each other to take enjoyment from each other فقد قال جل وعلا أن الله سبحانه وتعالى سيد والذين هم لفروجهم حافظون إلا على أزواجهم أو ما ملكت أيمانهم and those who protect and guard over their private areas except for their wives or with their wives and their spouses and that which they control in their right hand the slaves وفيه اغتسال الرجل والمرأة والمرأة من إناء واحد also it is permissible for the man and the woman to both make ghusl from the same pot وَفِيهِ دَلِيلٌ عَلَى الْإِقْتِصَادِ فِي مَاءِ الطَّهَارَةِ Also there is an evidence that the water should be economically used. Here both the Prophet ﷺ and Aisha radiallahu anha were making ghusl from the same water. So that is usage of the water in the proper way, not wastage of any water. وَفِيهِ دَلِيلٌ عَلَى أَنَّ لَمْسَ أَحَدِ الزَّوْجَيْنِ لِلْآخِرِ لَا يَضُرُّ بِطَهَارَتِهِمَا لِأَنَّ أَيْدِيهِمَا كَانَ تَخْتَلِفُ فِي الْإِنَا and even if they are taking the water from the same pot to make the ghusl, if their hands touch each other, then that doesn't have any effect on the ghusl. That is indicated by the hadith where Aisha radiallahu anha says in the extra bit in uh, Ibn Hibban that our hands used to touch whilst using the water. And that doesn't affect anything the shaykh says. Um, also, there is an evidence in this hadith upon the modesty of the Prophet wasallam, the best of the creation. The best of the creation, the chosen messenger of Allah, the seal of the prophets, and despite all of that, from his modesty, وسلم, that he would make the ghusl together in the same pot with his wife. وسلم, this is the affair of the Prophet. وسلم, he is very humble with his wife. That they both make the ghusl from the same pot. Uh, and this is how the person calling to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala should be like. لِكَيْ يَجْذِبْ النَّاسِ إِلَى دَعْوَتِهِ So that he can, in, he can bring in the people to the da'wah, bring in the people to the religion. As Allah said in the Qur'an, وَإِنَّكَ لَعَلَىٰ خُلُقٍ عَظِيمٍ That indeed you are upon the best of the manners. And the final two narrations in this chapter, عَنَ بِهُرَيْرَةَ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُ قَالَ قَالَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهِ إِنَّ تَحْتَ كُلِّ شَعْرٍ شَعْرَةٍ جَنَابَ فَاغْسِلُوا الشَّعْرَ وأن وَأَنْقُوا الْبَشَرَ رواه أبو داود وترمذي وضعفاه ولأحمد عن عائشة نحره وفيه راو مجهول In this hadith it says that under every hair is janaba This state of impurity is under every hair So make sure you wash all of the hair and you purify the skin That's what the hadith says However the hadith هذا الحديث بروايتيه وإن كان فيهما ما فيهما من المقال والضعف وجهالة الراوي إلا أنه يدل على أن الجنابة تنتشر في الجسم. The hadith is weak about there being janaba under every piece of hair. That hadith is weak. However, the sheikh says even though the hadith is weak, the point of it that the janaba is everywhere on your body. The point of that that the janaba is everybody everywhere on your body that is okay. That point is okay. That is mentioned by other narrations too. There are other narrations which indicate this point. That the janaba it spreads across all of your body. It is upon all of your body. So the Prophet ﷺ, when he made ghusl from the janaba, he washed all of his body. Why? 
Because that janaba, that state of janaba is upon all of the body, everywhere. So that point of this narration is indicated anyway, that the janaba is all over the body. Even though this narration specifically about it being under every hair and that wording is weak. Uh, and also the ayah in the Quran, وَإِن كُنْتُمْ جُنُبًا فَاتَّهَّرُوا If you are upon impurity of the janaba, then wash yourselves, purify yourselves. That is something which is general. Purify yourselves. It is general to all of the body. There is no specification. It's only a part of the body you have to make the ghusl on. So the janaba, it goes to all of the body. And therefore the person must make the ghusl all over his body. To the extent, وَأَنَّهُ لَوْ بَقِيَ مِنَ الْجِسْمِ شَيْءٌ يَسِيرٌ لَمْ يَسِلْ إِلَيْهِ الْمَاءِ لَمْ تَسِحُ الْطَهَارَةِ If a person was to leave a part of his body without putting water onto it, then that ghusl is incomplete. The purification is incomplete. وَهَذَا يُوجِبُ عَلَى الْمُسْلِمَ تَفَطْنٌ لِهَذَا الْأَمْرِ عِنْدَ الْإِقْتِسَالِ مِنَ الْجَنَابَةِ And a person should be very careful about this and be alert to this. When you're making the ghusl, every part of your body must be wet. You must pour the water over all of the body. Uh, and the hair included, that all of the hair must be cleaned and washed and the body must be washed. Just like we mentioned in the previous narration. Put the fingers in through the hair, then pour the water on top of it three times. So the janaba is everywhere and the whole body must be washed carefully and properly. And that is the meaning of this narration, even though the hadith itself about every hair having janaba under it is weak, the meaning of it is okay, which is narrated by the other narrations. That the janaba is all in all of the body, and therefore a person must be careful to make sure that all of the body is washed carefully, and that no area is left dry. And that is the end of the chapter relating to the ghusl. The next chapter which we'll start next time is the tayammum. The rulings and how to make the tayammum. That will be the next chapter we'll begin with uh, from next lesson, next Saturday, insha'Allah ta'ala. So we'll conclude upon that point now. Wa sallallahu alayhi wa sallam.